0: What's up, bros? Siege here. Just giving you guys a little heads up before the episode. This was recorded before the new wave of resistance and protests, but we still want to make sure that our voices are heard and that it is known that we support and we encourage our listeners follow the Black Lives Matter movement. Visit blacklivesmatter.com to learn how to donate, sign petitions, and protest safely. You can also check out Black Visions Collective, Reclaim the Block, Know Your Rights Camp, Minnesota Freedom Fund, Communities United Against Police Brutality, and the ACLU to learn more about the cause. Defund the police, Black Lives Matter, and enjoy the episode.
1: When
0: the meets world, meets world, when meets world. What up, bros? What up, bros? And welcome to Brown Meets World.
1: What is boy meets world?
0: Your boy meets world fan cast. This is episode eighty
1: three. I'm Siege. I am your boy, Tony Curtis. How are you guys?
0: I was going to ask you how are you. I have been editing a lot of our season one uh, episodes, and I was just listening to our little intros. that was like, we used to have like such conversations, and now we just dive on in. So,
1: <laughs> well, I, th- I, you know, can I speculate as to why? Yeah. Well, I think, you know... 2020 has been an emotional uh you know wreckage yeah of a year. <laughs> and i have been looking forward to our conversations as an escapism as a way to get away from the the terrible news that seems to pop up week by week um and so i and also i'm in quarantine not much yeah. is going on exactly I You know what part, part i will
0: allow that that sounds like very much um in line of what's going on it's like if i were to ask you hey how are you doing you're like oh the world's on fire what else is new
1: (laughs) yes the world's on fire and i'm still at home
0: (laughs) okay so um that being said we do have new news in the boy meets world fandom um Uh, danielle fishel responded to Trina mcgee's um claims basically she just notified
1: the public of an apology apparently yeah for those who don't know what you're talking about can you give them some background info on the trina mcgee Scandal in the Boy Meets World verse? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. Um, so not too long
0: ago, earlier in the season, we talked about the fact that gina McGee, who plays Angela in the next season um of Boy Meets World Fame, and she's also the one who ends up dating Sean and is just becomes a staple of the boy meets world lore. She released a statement saying that um, three of the main cast members, um, which was narrowed down to Ben Savage, Danielle Fishel, and Will Friedle, um, basically teased her and did several either racist comments or microaggressions while she was filming, and it was this whole situation about the production of Boy Meets World, and even the um, reboot Girl Meets World and her treatment there. And Danielle Fischelle recently commented on it saying that she um, called Trina McGee and sent a or basically apologized and it was accepted and Trina McGee backed up that, that claim. So so far that's two out of two out of the three. We still haven't heard anything from Ben Savage, but Yeah. Which
1: is disappointing.
0: Honestly, I'm not gonna lie, I love this show, but the more I see like the live Um, I'll say, what are they called? Um, Kind of panels, the conventions, all this other stuff. Ben Savage seems, like, removed from, like, socializing. Like, I don't really know how to say it any other way than everyone else seems to have, like, this energy and this uh, vibe with each other. And he seems part of it, but, like, on the edges. Like,
1: he's there, but, like, not really in. I have noticed this as well. And it's part of the reason why I often get um, a little disappointed and sometimes bored when I'm watching these panels because there's so much that like, I don't, I don't know. I, I can't imagine what it's like to have the most famous thing you did be from 20 years ago. Like and having to talk about it all the time. Like I can't imagine how annoying that must be, but if you sign up to do a convention or a panel, like you're going to be with people who are diehard fans with nerds for your art that you produce in the world. Like you can get a little bit more excited about it, Ben. Like he doesn't chime in for questions unless he's directly asked. He just seems like you said, removed detached. Um, I I don't know if it's an ego thing, but I, it, comes across more like laziness.
0: Honestly, I don't think it is. I think that, like, it's really funny because when I look at these panels and I see how Daniel Fischel and Will Friedle interact with Ben Savage themselves, it just seems like that's him. Like, I think there was, like, a whole story. They were all, like, telling stories back and forth about what they used to do. And Ben Savage was, like, thinking about Raisin Bran.
1: (laughs) You know, like, he was,
0: like, that's just who he is. He's just, like... He is that celery poster on the wall that he becomes famous for. And um, that's, again, that's nothing against him, but that's who he is and that's his
1: personality. I wonder if he is just, you know, naturally, when the cameras are off, not very expressive or, you know, kind of shy. Yeah, that's a lot of people. All that plays into him not reaching out to. Um, Trina McGee for anything but I have to say like all of this is super disappointing as a Boy Meets World fan like to hear that you know the one black cast member that had any you know longevity on the show was ostracized was you know, whether it be microaggressions or anything more, you know, overt. Um, experienced racism on the show that played such a huge part in my childhood it's disappointing to to hear, and I'm glad that they're working it out now and I'm glad that you know much like a lot of people in 2020 they're reflecting and having these hard conversations but it's also like dude like she was on <laughs> girl meets world like this was recently like it wasn't like it was from the 90s
0: yeah and I was gonna say I mean we talked about
1: Uh, when we did our episode I Ain't Your Aunt Jemima
0: which basically talked about this in full but um, when I really do think about the way that they wrote her character even like the idea of her character needing to come to Sean for approval to get married is like so backwards from what we see or what we will see with with their dynamic in general let alone um, any black woman you would know You know, in person. It's just, it's a, it was a very weird and weirdly handled situation. Um, And I think that as with all things we are revisiting, um, we can only hope to do better.
1: You know, it's funny, um, our production company that we have for our podcast is called uh, Two Free Tokens, and based on the fact that we're often the token black people in a group of white faces, um, and I I have to, you know, reflect on our experiences that we had with all white friends and how much accidental racism slipped out when you were just around a group of white people whose privileges weren't being checked, Mm -hmm. and I can't imagine that on a Hollywood level when people have more of a freedom um, with fame to maybe be a little bit more outspoken um what that was like for her on set when you're not only surrounded by all white faces, but these are white faces that are constantly getting adoration, constantly getting attention and accolades, um, what it must have been like for her, uh, regardless again of how overt the racism was.
0: Absolutely. And we also talked about the fact that they were they were actual children when I believe she was a little bit older when she started to play the Angela character. So there is that like age gap um, yeah. that again is never an excuse but definitely a um, explanation
1: you know there was a huge age gap between um, on Saved by the Bell between Screech and the rest of the cast mm-hmm. and there was also a lot of like relationship issues between Screech and the rest of the cast because he didn't feel like he was seen as a peer because he was seen as something different because he wasn't in their age group and I just wonder if that's just the thing that happens on shows sometimes that there are just certain age groups that just kind of click up and you know when you have have a show like Boy Meets World where the central cast is clicked up, um, you know, how that can make guest stars or, or, you know, people who are not the main cast feel when they're on that set on that environment where they're not feeling supported.
0: so you just made me think and i do wonder what lark vorhees like what was her experience like um yeah. being like the only black person i mean she did have ac slater um to be with her in the cast but mario lopez has shown himself to be a little bit wow. of a situation himself so i i don't think we were exactly um
1: riding with him (laughs) the whole way i do not want to talk about mario lopez because if i get started it's all i'm going to talk
0: about (laughs) okay (laughs) well before we detour too far get it get my segue i like
1: it i like it
0: (laughs) (laughs) we will introduce this week's episode which is season four episode 14 wheels yeah 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 uh you want to do your tell me about it little song oh of
1: course yeah <laughs> as as everyone knows i i try to incorporate billy joel's tell me about it uh to use to sum up the episode um here we go <clears throat> tell me about it tell me all about the show Corey gets stopped by cops. Surprisingly, he is not shot.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And this is exactly what I wanted to talk about. Because when we were talking about uh, detours, I was like, the way this, this show and this episode handles the police is very much about privilege. And so I'm really excited to get into it.
1: Totally. Um, yeah, let's let's get into that. Tell me about. It.
0: Yeah, this is season four, episode fourteen, Wheels. Um, Alan finds himself at a crossroads when Corey, armed with a new driver's license on his sixteenth birthday, would rather celebrate the event on a road trip with Sean and Topanga instead of with his father. Meanwhile, on their road trip, Corey gets stopped by the police and goes to trial while his dad watches videos
1: of Corey when Corey was a little kid. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go out on the limb before I even begin this episode, diving into it, and just say I like this episode. I have so many problems with every part of it. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: agree with you. I had. I was like, this was another one of the memorable episodes that we always talk about. I'm also laughing because I mentioned earlier that I'm editing these episodes. And I don't know how many times we said the words, this is when it really begins Boy Meets World. Yeah. (laughs) But like, this is just like definitely one of those more iconic episodes. And uh, I rewatching it, I was like, oh, I have... A lot of problems with what's going on. So let's
1: just get into it. Uh, First thoughts. First thought is that a teen, someone saying, I want to drive two hours to see a movie is immediately a lie to me. I <laughs> There's no excuse. <laughs> this is about 16 year olds going to see an R-rated Van Damme movie. Can 16 year olds even get into an R-rated movie? No, which is what uh, Alan was like talking about. He's like, you can't even get in. You have to be
0: 17 or older. But uh, they were just going to sneak into the movie because they're that old now. They can just sneak in.
1: In all fairness, I used to sneak into R-rated movies all the time. Hey, kids, listen up. This is the easiest way to do it. (laughs) When you want to go see Van Damme rips out Throat of Asian Man um, playing in Auditorium 3, you actually get tickets to, let's say, Little Women playing in Auditorium 2 that starts half an hour beforehand. You sneak right in. It works every time.
0: So what's really funny is I was, you know me, I was very much like a Corey in the sense of like I was too much of a goody-goody and I was like, we'll always get caught and i had several friends constantly try to get me to sneak into theaters but i would just was so obvious about it that we would always get caught because i would be like can, can we can we do this like are they gonna catch us and they were like what's this giant
1: big kid doing <laughs> sometimes it backfires sometimes like our local movie theater got hit to it and started putting like little cops outside of the r-rated movies to check your tickets uh... and i got stuck Watching Jackie Chan's The Tuxedo, <laughs> which, which is the worst movie I've ever seen in my I life. Say,
0: notoriously <laughs> one of the worst movies. So that was definitely a punishment in itself. That was a punishment. I learned my lesson. So. <laughs> um, also, this is like completely me being a little geeky, but um, while watching the episode, I was like, what Van Damme movie could they be going to see? Um, all my research, considering the fact that this movie came out, I- sorry, this episode came out in January of 97. The newest R-rated Van Damme movie was Maximum Risk, um, which came out in September of 1996. I'm
1: embarrassed to say that I am a little too familiar with John Claw Van Damme's filmography, (laughs) and I don't recognize that title whatsoever.
0: (laughs) So I have no idea what it's about. It is not rated high, but if you want to see the movie that Corey was really willing to risk, Jail time for uh, it is mas-
1: maximum risk. Yo, what did you think about Topanga like being down to do it because she gets to see Van Damme with his shirt off? I feel like, again, we're dealing with this point of time in
0: Topanga where she's half teenage girl and I allow her that freedom. And then other times it's just like the writers are just writing what they think a teenage girl would do. But I do feel like that's kind of true to Topanga, especially like a little bit later in the episode when she's like, look, the responsible part of me doesn't think that we should be doing this, but the other part of me really wants to go, thank you for listening to me. <laughs> like, like, just thank you for helping me process this.
1: Um, no, I actually think Topanga's pretty. pretty uh, I, – I, I like her in this episode overall. My main issue is Alan in this episode. Yes. Well, to be fair, it's Alan
0: and Corey,
1: but Alan should know better. Uh, because Alan is a birthday ruiner, <laughs> <laughs> he ruined Eric's eighteenth birthday. He's ruined Corey's sixteenth birthday by some like the the reason Alan gets mad at Corey is ridiculous to me because Alan is furious that Corey goes to get his license with Sean and to ping on his birthday, even though Alan never said, "Hey Corey, I really want to go with you and go get breakfast." That's what I did with Eric. Um, the problem is that of that is that we saw. Um, It's a Wonderful Night, the episode where Eric gets his license. And yep. he goes on his birthday with Jason. Yep. Of course he fails, and of course he has a whole situation that follows. But if Alan did go with Eric to get his license, he did not go on Eric's birthday. And he did not make Eric feel any pressure to have breakfast with him and go with him. So this whole episode just felt like a real, like, wait, what? Yeah, well also it's the
0: idea of communication. Most of this is communication and just male stubbornness and the idea that he would have all of these plans for a 16 year old without like they had a dinner planned and didn't tell Corey and it's like I don't know a lot of things, but I do know that teenagers have plans, and they have friends, and why does his friends not know about this dinner that's coming on tonight? You know what I mean? It's like they made all of these plans, and they didn't really even run it by, and I love that Amy was like, does Corey know anything about this? Uh, (laughs) Because it's just – it's a perfect example of – in general i hate surprises because you don't know what i have planned and i feel like Corey is justified in his anger about the situation
1: even though he's not justified with his actions um i thought alan was kind of a little bitch he was the whole episode i was totally on Corey's side for uh the first half of it and you know once we get to like The actual car cop scenario, that's where the episode kind of takes a turn for me. But um, throughout the first half of it, I just couldn't stop feeling like Alan was just ruining his son's birthday for his own reasons. And obviously, you know, the show makes it seem sentimental that Alan just misses his little boy, but... If he misses a little boy, he would make sure he had a better birthday.
0: Absolutely. Well, I think what's important to notice is this is a habit of Alan's. As you pointed out, it's the same thing with Kid Glove's episode where he gives Corey this gift that he doesn't – like Alan has all of these grand ideas in his head, but he doesn't really – communicate them to anyone he just kind of does things and expects people to fall in line and that's not how anything should happen like if you're doing that you are setting yourself up for disappointment and you're setting other people up to like feel embarrassed or feel like they haven't lived up to some ideal that they had no no agreement to
1: i want to quickly uh mention this because you brought up kid gloves uh the episode in season one where alan gives Corey, his boxing gloves that he won in the Navy for, you know, I guess the silver gloves, um, there's a point where Corey's trying to find ways for Morgan to relate to Alan and Morgan's like boxing and gives him a mean hook like, yeah. left, right to the face. And I'm like, Corey, that's your in like she, she can box. Alan's a boxer, like make this happen. Um, What's really funny too, is that Morgan calls the boxing gloves, boxing mittens, which is also how Corey referred to them when he got the silver gloves from his dad in that season one episode. Absolutely. And I think you're right. I didn't think about
0: that, but why not – like, again, I think it's this narrow-mindedness of Corey trying to make Morgan into a boy instead of just looking at the talents that she's already showing and being like, hey, you and dad have this in common. Why don't you bond over it? And I think that – um what the episode does is it shows us that Alan is this way because Corey's his youngest son and Morgan's his first daughter instead of his third son. And Alan just basically is having a midlife crisis again because Corey's getting older and he will get a chance to do all of these things. But very much like we say in any other episode or with any other situation, you can't put those feelings and that feeling of inadequacy on anyone else like your behavior towards everyone else in that situation is uncalled for that is a personal gripe and you don't get a pass because your son is getting older
1: it's so interesting how this show uh, this specific episode plays with like gender bias in parenting which i think is something that you were kind of touching on like how alan's feeling about his last son versus, you know, the fact that Corey's a middle child and just this idea of like, well, you know, Morgan's around, but she's just a girl. It just feels kind of dismissive and kind of shitty to just feel like, well, I mean, Morgan's a girl, so there's no chance that he can have a relationship with his daughter. I mean, why would any man have a relationship (laughs) with his daughter? Like, it's ridiculous, right?
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, even when it comes to the fact that he was like, hey, Morgan, do you want me to go do your hair? She's like, are you kidding me? And He's like, you're right. But it's like, why did you try to do something that you would have never done, i.e., her hair? Why not ask what her interests are or do whatever Morgan would want to do, but not impose yourself in the situation
1: that you don't belong? One of the, my least favorite traits of early 90s movies and uh, kid based movies and television shows was this idea that like parents hated. Um, doing what kids wanted to do, like it was like annoying to like take a kid to do something like a show or that he wants to go to, or you know, uh, to to a circus or a play, like anything like that. Like it always seemed like a frustration or a burden to parents to uh, find to invest in what the kids interested in versus the parent like trying to bring the kid in what they're interested in, like oh, come hear this band that I used to listen to in the sixties, or come watch this this sports game that was really important to me. Like it's it's something I've noticed ab- among many television shows and movies in the nineties, and I wish I had more examples to give. The the one I'm kind of thinking of is Getting Even with Dad, with Macaulay Culkin. That's is, exactly <laughs> what I was thinking of. um But just this idea that just like, wow, like, why not just do something that the kid's interested in to relate to them and build a relationship that way versus it being the other way around? I don't know what was it about that generation of parenting in the 90s that felt like the only way to get a kid in is to pull them into your realm of interest.
0: Well, so a little context, what we're dealing with in the 90s is this first real generation of dads who are separated from um, their their children, you know, like, it's, it's kind of like a norm now that all these dads are divorced. And, like, we see it a lot in the Santa Claus and a lot of these movies where, like, dad ha- – it used to be, like, the – The twist was and dad takes care of the kids but now it's like and dad takes care of the kids while having his own job and dad has to experience what it's like to be a single parent for the first time um so that's really what we were dealing with we were dealing with all of these i'll say hollywood execs who were telling stories about hey did you know
1: that bonding with your kid is harder than it seemed um and here are a few ways so <laughs> that's super interesting how you're talking how you how you made the connection between just like the the family shift that took place in the 80s and 90s of increasing divorce and different kinds of households um you know whether it be that The dad is divorced or the fact that the mother would be working, leaving more responsibilities to parenting to fall on the dad. Like how that made its way into our art that we consumed. Fascinating, bro. Yeah, well, you get a lot of
0: movies at that time that are just about dads learning to value their families. To not Um, be shitty dads. That's the whole plot exactly that's that's really it and a lot of them fail at it but the whole arc is supposed to be you know this big businessman has to take care of his kids for a weekend what's he gonna do with them um so yeah i think i think have you to see mr mom with uh michael keaton i never saw mr mom but i know exactly what you're talking about
1: maybe we'll do that for movie makeover because that's that's some exactly what the hell we're talking about like the whole premise is like hey you have to do what your wife has been successfully doing for years <laughs> exactly well there's like um you get getting even with dad there's
0: the one where uh it was like chevy chase and jtt
1: um, yes man of the house
0: yes thank you there's one where it's um rest in peace fair T- ted danson and macaulay culkin um i believe like I don't know, like like look at it. Anyone who's uh, listening to us right now, go and look it up. There's just a slew of kids movies where the whole uh premise of the movie is kid is with dad for the weekend or, you know, for however many weeks because mom is out of the picture. So, um uh, anyway, getting back to our episode, I think that what we're trying to say is every character in here is responsible for their own feelings and behavior and acting out does not excuse you. Um I think Alan's behavior is, like I said, it's shown a pattern throughout the many episodes that we've seen of him just kind of assuming that everyone will fall in line and getting upset when they don't. Um, And I think that that's something that modern television would explore or at least call out.
1: Totally, totally.
0: Um, let's talk about Corey in this episode um, and his kind of assumptions because we open up with Corey being like, of course my dad's going to give me the car. Why would he not?
1: You know what I mean? I think that Corey, again, he is treating his relationship with his dad like it's continuously always been. Like, you know, I've had a driver's permit and dad's let me take the car and he hasn't made a big deal about it. And so I don't see why he wouldn't do this for me for my birthday. Like, I am in your court, Corey. Why wouldn't he give you the car? It's your birthday. Like, go to the damn movies. Oh, I, I will say that uh, I we, we kind
0: of skipped over this. But when Alan finds out that Corey has already gotten his license... And he throws his little hissy fit and Corey's like, well, can I have the keys? The moment Alan's like, well, actually I have some. Well, no, what he says first is, um, sure, I wouldn't mind being driven around. And Corey's like, that's not what I meant. And then he gets really upset and he's like, well, I have some things I need to do. So let me be gone for a few hours and then get back to you. And again, at this point in time, he also hasn't mentioned the dinner. (laughs)
1: now did Corey say that he waited for like five hours for alan to come home like alan literally had the day off on his son's birthday and was like i'm gonna decide to use this time to run errands that require the car exactly that's so petty it's so petty (laughs) so petty and childish oh my god um i will have to say that again like Corey's initial motivation of just like, hey, I want to drive to Atlantic City to go to the movies feels like a lie to me. One, because (laughs) I'm from Atlantic City. I I was born there. I have family there. I know what Atlantic City has to offer. People do not go there for movies. Um, (laughs) Also, uh, again, this is getting real into the depths of it, but being from Atlantic City, I know that the drive to Philly is an hour and a half on the Atlantic City Expressway. Unless this dude was trying to avoid tolls, there ain't no reason for him to be on the back road. I don't know where this mysterious country town is in New Jersey, but again, there's several highways that will get you to Atlantic City very quickly.
0: Yeah, I looked it up and I was like, it's an hour and a half drive. Where was Corey going? But uh, maybe he was going too slow for the highway because we saw how, uh, how slow he was getting.
1: Him driving like an old man doesn't surprise me at all. Like Not That all. feels right in line with Corey's character. Very much so. Um, so he gets a ticket. Do well, we before we
0: talk? go there, I want to talk about the dinner and just, okay, okay, um, okay. Corey and Alan's tension in this episode, because I think you're right. There is, Corey is rightfully upset, but just the way that he talks to, I, I for me, it's hard because I remember what I was like when I was 16 and there were plenty of yelling and conversations because it just feels like an injustice. And so you are angry and you are loud, but it also does kind of seem like... He's putting in zero effort even at his dinner. You know, like, they're already talking about, can we go? And, like, it's like, how hard would it be to have some cake, put on a smile, and then ask for the keys?
1: Also, when I'm a teenager, I don't know about you, if someone else is paying for my dinner, (laughs) I'm there. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah i was like there's a, i mean he didn't know about the cake again
1: he didn't know about his second clown burger he got he got two clown burgers bro like it's a good
0: day <laughs> exactly there was just such opportunity for it to be a good day and i feel like Corey kind of ate it to it with his attitude but also like as a teenager being 16 to have like your entire day ruined by your dad who is just being petty and childish i can imagine um tensions would remain high
1: i really like episodes when there's tension between alan and his children i feel like it's far too television fantasy like for there to be this like completely cohesive relationship between the parents and the kids especially the fathers and the kids like i feel like every person i know or talk to even people who have great relationships with their fathers are like yeah me and my dad have gotten into it a few times and it's it's fatherly tension is just i feel like a very american thing again i don't know whether it's because of the generational gaps where there's not a lot of emotion expression but for example like me and my fiance have been trying to do our family trees recently Mm -hmm. and so we've been reaching out to our parents to talk about it our dads don't know anything about the family (laughs) history and they don't want to talk about it it's like they just do not want to like express things like that and i think that's just was taught to them about like hey you just work hard and you focus on that and you don't worry about the past and emotions and feelings and so again i just i feel like it's a very realistic thing for there to be tension between alan and his kids um because it's more of a reflection of teenage life i feel um and even though i don't agree that like this was the best conflict for them to have because alan is painted to be a little bitch um i do enjoy that there is some more realism between their characters as father and son
0: yeah i completely agree what do you think about like the other characters in this episode such as alan amy eric and topanga i love amy i I love amy Uh, don't get me wrong i always love amy and she usually is the most reasonable person in the room but i was just kind of upset that she didn't have more of like she's taking this approach of like seeing the tension and seeing what's going on but not really participating and maybe that's just my my habit of like wanting to get involved and solve things but amy's really kind of like taking a step back and she's just
1: watching it i don't know dude okay here's why i am kind of cool with that because I am thinking about this from like a parenting thing. Like I'm co-parenting, right? Mm -hmm. If you and your boyfriend have a kid, you guys are going to be co-parenting together. And so you would want to make sure that you're constantly on the same page when it comes to your kids. I always thought that like with my life partner that I have kids with, like I would want to make sure that like we don't talk down to each other when we're around the kids. We don't – you know go against each other like i always want to be like a united front with the kids so the idea that amy's like you know what i'm going to wait and talk to him about this later i kind of respect that do i wish that she had a little bit more agency in the relationship where it didn't feel like she was as a parent like checking in on him but more as a, a partner like saying hey i have a 50 percent say and i feel this way of course but I do respect the fact that she didn't undermine her partner in front of their kids. Yeah, I guess
0: that's, that's a, we are, we're practicing that with the puppy right now. And let's just say it has not always gone off as easily. <laughs> <laughs> There's yeah. Lots of times, but you're right. There are moments where I I do, I'm like, this isn't what we agreed upon or this isn't, uh what i would prefer but because what we're trying the most important thing to do right now is to get control of the situation uh i'll just be quiet and, and see where things go so i guess i can see that i was just like i i always want more of amy and she was just again the supportive spouse instead of like a real like force in the episode
1: totally I I think that Sean and Topanga are used perfectly in this episode. I think they're in it for just the amount of the right time. I think they bring the right energy to it. Like, you know, Sean and Topanga are kind of always the angel and devil on Corey's shoulder. And I feel like, you know, even in this situation where Topanga is, you know, the wiser one, uh, you know, she admits that she has immature tendencies. So when they are on the highway going towards Atlantic City and they get pulled over, it's not like... it's not unexpected that they would run into error i love what you were saying because the narrative of sean
0: and topanga always being the devil and angel on corey's shoulder that's so it like you're right it's like sean's always like what why don't you have the keys why aren't we going on this road trip what's you know like he's always like pushing 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 and topanga really does kind of take a step back and just she's like hey i want to be there as well but like, let's try to be responsible in in what we're doing. Um, she's the one who says during the dinner, can we at least pretend to be having a good time?
1: Yeah. And she's also the first one that's like, hey, maybe you should call your dad.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and also, but I think it's great that they're, they're there and they're letting Corey solve his own uh, issues because they understand that this isn't something they can force him to do. This is just kind of like watching your friend yell at their parents, and you're like, this has nothing to do with me,
1: I wouldn't do it, not at my house, but, (laughs) you know. (laughs) For it being such an awkward day, like, the fact that Sean and Topango were like, hey, it's still your birthday, like, we're still here with you, whatever you want to do, we're down for, I thought that was cool. I don't know how much Eric really played in the episode, I don't really remember him much, except for him singing happy birthday when he was bringing out the, the car cake.
0: Well, he's the one who says, he's the one who gives Corey some context into what's going on Uh, Of course he does so in a very Teasing way when he's like um, Dad liked me better And so you know like I I had an easier Time but he does He is kind of there as The brotherly support
1: uh, During this episode And yeah Because he's the one who says the reason Why dad's upset is because you're his Second, Morgan's his Third daughter not his third son Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, he does kind of school him a little bit. Yeah, so he acts as the older brother who gives him insight. Everyone fulfills their roles pretty well there, as far as, like, Eric, Sean, and Topanga go. Yeah, and now we can talk
0: about the part where Corey gets pulled over, going one mile over the speed limit, because it's a speed trap. And uh, I thought that this was very interesting considering everything we're talking about with defund the police and abolish the police and basically just the entire system because i have so many questions here um yeah but what cop pulls you
1: into a courthouse at night for an immediate trial based on the opinion of one judge That seems like some unconstitutional (laughs) bullshit (laughs) thank you but um while
0: we're doing that i want to do our roll call where we can talk about the individuals so we get dan loria who is Judge Lamb. Bucket uh, love him. He also everything. played the dad in The Wonder Years, which stars Ben Savage's brother fred savage fred i was like it's not ed like i, like,
1: I was like what ed is? savage yeah <laughs> <laughs> no ed savage hasn't had an acting career he's the other <laughs> savage brother um uh, but yeah but no fred savage uh stars in the wonder years and dan loria is his dad on that show and i always kind of consider the wonder years the prequel show for boy meets world very um, so. so for him being there and also being a father figure even in this role as a judge i thought was very fitting for him absolutely and then raymond O'Connor. O'K- connor plays officer dibby uh
0: dibble no thoughts on him uh he's a stock character so yes um, but he is the one who's constantly i will say the thing with officer dibble is he's always like it's a speech what part are you not getting and i think that at least for me that was very transparent of like dude this is made to trip you up and there's like throw all your logic out of the window because the question is: Did you break the law? Yes or no? And for all of you people who argue, if you don't want to do the crime, don't do. Sorry, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. This is this is the bullshit that people of color put up with
1: all the time. I, I wrote that the cops treat Corey like a, a black kid in the sense <laughs> that he gets pulled over for going one mile above the speed limit, is immediately sentenced to uh, see a judge, and he doesn't get a lawyer to represent him i was just like wow it's it, i can't believe they're treating Corey so black in this episode yeah <laughs> i love
0: it like he doesn't like not only that what i thought was really interesting is this system of him not being able to even get like they're like hey we can pay the bail if you can tell me where the nearest atm is it's like there is no atm we don't accept credit cards it has to be cash and it has to be now i was like this is a messed up system that is Specifically made in Jersey to to put people in prison, you know
1: what I mean, yeah, New Jersey, get your shit together, yeah, I was like, we, this we is... know you're out there on those streets pulling over those innocent white kids for driving one mile <laughs> over, and we've had enough, <laughs> oh my goodness, um okay, I do have to say as, mon- as much as I had an issue with the whole concept of a speed trap. Um, while watching the episode, I was like, "This is such a dumb thing to like get these kids into a court setting." Like, I just felt like a stupid excuse. Um, I love how it's used in the story to demonstrate how childhood is a speed trap. And for Alan, you know, Dan Loria says something to Alan after he gets called. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead, but You're fine. the whole concept of just like, um, you know, y- these kids grow up so fast; it's a speed trap. Helped bring the episode around and helped me appreciate the use of that tool to tell the story more than I did when I was first introduced to it. Absolutely. I agree.
0: That was one of the things that I pulled Um, this idea that judge lamb is telling not only Alan, who is really important to get considering that Alan is pining over his, his son growing up, but also to Corey, he's like, look, I know that when you're 16 and you have a license, those two years seem like forever, but you just don't know how fast they go by. And Alan, the exact same thing. It's like, you need to understand that he's under your roof for two more years and you'll blink and that'll be gone. So you guys need to really put this tension aside because your time together as a family unit um, is is coming to an end.
1: For for Dan Loria to be the one who says to Alan, like, hey, before you know it, your kids are going to be gone. There's a, There's this kind of uh understanding between him and alan where even though he hasn't come out and said like i also have kids who have grown up too fast it's this understanding that um that's something that's implied anyway did you get that too that dan Loya had kids that grew up too fast i think he does say he was a kid um i'm sorry he has kids uh i may be
0: wrong but i thought i remembered him saying that and yeah this was definitely a man speaking from experience
1: The reason why I found that so interesting is because The Wonder Years ends when Kevin graduates high school. Ah. So, like, it's kind of like this thing of just like, yeah, we know that you've had kids that have grown up too fast. We saw it, like, three years ago on TV. And so, I don't know. I thought that was kind of, I don't know if that was what they were trying to imply. But having him there and also having all of this home footage of Ben Savage, Fred Savage, Ben Savage. Yeah, Ben. Um, see,
0: it's not as easy, is it? It's not easy.
1: <laughs> but there's all this home footage of Ben Savage, and in the background, I think I see Fred Savage in there. It felt like a very Fred Savage cameo-ish episode, even though he wasn't there.
0: Yeah, I think what you're hinting at is something that I didn't realize until you pointed out that he was the father from one of the New Year's. But it's kind of like a handing over of the baton. Um, yes. Or or the gavel, I guess, in this case. Of, Ooh. Like, <laughs> of like, hey, um, as one TV father to another TV father, like all of this goes by as quickly. You know, like before you know it, all of it's gone. So just really cherish it. And uh there's more I want to talk about with Judge Lamb, but I really thought that I was positive. Was Feeney in this episode? Yes, he was. Remember, he has a conversation with Alan about why he never had kids.
1: Yes, and that's why Alan should be appreciative of his situation, because at least he has kids, is what Feeney's lesson was to him.
0: What I thought was interesting about that is Feeney specifically says it was a choice not to have kids. Um, So that's – I don't know why, but you don't always get that. Sometimes you hear you know about these couples who have been married for a while and they they couldn't or – whatever may like you know Yo. life went by they 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 forgot to have kids but feeney yeah was like no i absolutely chose not to have kids because i couldn't handle the responsibility and i think that says a lot because alan's like your life is kids he's like no my job is kids. yeah you <laughs> know how interested would you be
1: in a prequel feeney show like We've about, feeney, about like being uh, married him like being a teacher in his early years figuring it out like would you be down for that who would
0: not, like, name one person who would not want a Feeny Meets World, like, television show. Like, oh, my God. A Meets
1: World. Disney Plus, are you hearing us?
0: I mean, because think about it. Like, especially in the whole idea of Feeney being young at, like, during the 60s and 70s and watching him grow to learn all of these life, lesson, life lessons he will eventually hand off.
1: I think it's great. Wow. Wow um i don't really have much else to say about this episode i i I mean like i said there are some uh conflicts like the alan brings up that i don't feel like are supernatural but for the most part not supernatural like (laughs) not super space natural for his character (laughs) but for the most part like i do like this episode like when the episode ends i'm like you know what michael jacobs i'm in it you got me i'm I still am a fan despite the fact that I had issues with most of the episode. Well, I have a problem with Judge Lamb,
0: and I don't have a problem with him per se, but I have a problem with the legal system that we get with Judge Lamb. Um, We kind of hinted on it with the fact that he goes directly to court. They're like, if you can't pay the fine, you have to see someone. Um, The way that he is kind of like mean and overbearing to cory but also like toying with him with the balloons you know like
1: like, the as, balloon. like bro what the hell was that
0: yeah yeah but again it's this this dynamic of this it's a power play and i like that sean being who he is comes he goes let me tell you anyone who will make you a balloon animal in the middle of a case will absolutely send you away you know what i mean like it's like this this guy may seem all cuddly but i think he's mad serious in uh, abusing the law if i'm going to be honest and the for me the idea of him even talking to alan saying that Corey, you're lucky you have this family dynamic that is different from all these other kids that are in front of me makes me think who else are is in front of judge lamb and does he have the same leniency and understanding as he does with Corey in this case totally Uh,
1: it's so interesting that you interpreted the balloon animals as him being like kind of kooky because i thought of it as them literally soft peddling the legal system like in in no reality would a black could be taken to a judge who makes him balloon animals it just Felt like they were whitewashing the legal system and what people actually have to go through when they get have really um, uh, toxic, you know, interactions with police officers who pull them over. Uh, uh, Well, so what I'm actually responding to is the fact that I feel
0: like it's specifically different for Corey. Like the way that he's talking to Corey makes me feel that if this was a black kid in front of him, it wouldn't be the same. Like if this was, if we take uh carlton and will and put them in front of him instead and it's uncle phil who shows up i feel like it would have been more of a an issue instead of what we get which is this compassionate i understand what's going on here especially when he's like hey i want you to take this quarter and call your dad and Corey's like no i don't think so i don't think i'm wrong and it's like you just basically told a judge I'd rather go to jail than call my father yeah. and the judge responded with sympathy instead of what I feel like a very a judge like judge lamb would do which is really see it as
1: um entitlement and I don't know do you get where I'm going with this? Totally. And I love that you brought up the Carlton and Will thing because I literally just watched that episode from season one of Fresh Prince where Carlton and Will get pulled over for going too slow under the speed limit. <laughs> and what happens to them where they actually have to have Uncle Phil, a lawyer, come and threaten the police station in order to let these guys go. You know, compared to uh Ben Savage uh, and Corey Matthews, who are also from Philadelphia, Mm -hmm. having a very different interaction with the police department for going over. Like, they broke the law. Carlton and Will didn't. And yet they both had different experiences. Again, different TV shows, but I think it's also a reflection of what the justice and legal system's like for white kids in the 90s versus black kids in the 90s, and, and even now.
0: And yeah, that's my thing. I guess for me, I just, I saw hinted at a different version of judge lamb if this wasn't cory and sean's commentary of look i can tell this who this guy is and this guy is someone who if you didn't have the privilege and you didn't have the whiteness behind you this would probably go very differently
1: how do you feel about watching this episode i don't know like a month or two after george floyd like does it change like anything watching this episode knowing that like we're having such a national conversation about the way cops treat people when they're pulled over or is this more of like a relic from the past like they No, more I think it's like wow, this is a time capsule of that moment.
0: No, I think looking at anything dealing with officers now is a complete and like I just watched Selma and Louise for the first time the other day and halfway through this I was like this has to be uh, satire and commentary on the American police system because there's no way, none of this makes sense and every reaction is an overreaction. Um, yeah. And I feel like now that we are all talking about it and we're all re-examining what they call copaganda and like our legal system in real life versus our, real, our legal system on television, I could not watch this episode and not think about the myriad of ways this would be different if this was a person of color. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay. Um, All right, so that's pretty much what I have. Oh, I have one last thing I want to throw in, Um, and this is just a little tidbit. Um, In the flashback, a home video of a young Ben Savage, it includes some footage of him playing with toy wrestlers. I have mentioned in the past that I feel like this show has like a connection with wrestling through the cast or the showrunners being fans of the, the sport. And I think seeing a young Ben Savage play with toy wrestlers and then knowing how much wrestling plays a part in the show, I can't help but think that he was kind of geeking out at the idea (laughs) of being able to work with, you know, Jake the snake or, um, you know, later in, I think there's, uh, you know, Mankind makes an appearance later in the seasons. Um, there's just wrestling just keeps coming up. And I think that this little flashback footage was really a cool way to see how Ben's been a fan of that sport for a while. Speaking of span
0: a fan of sports, it's funny to me because you reminded me when we were talking about things that Alan would do for Corey's birthday, I was like, "Why not go to a baseball game? Why would that not be the thing that you did for Corey on his sixteenth birthday?" I just can, feel I, like, can I give
1: you a reason? Corey hasn't talked about baseball <laughs> in like three seasons. That's why Corey don't give a shit about sports. <laughs>
0: Apparently, we don't talk about anything anymore, Alan. and yeah. Corey. So anyway, that all said, do you have a bra moment or do you have a feeny lesson?
1: Um, I guess, again, the Feeny lesson, really, I I didn't really walk away with one other than just to like cherish your kids while they're young. I don't really know what Corey's lesson would be there just to kind of show sympathy to his father that's going to lose his son. Um, I don't really know if that's the main lesson. The Bra moment that I just can't get over is just, again, how... A kid was pulled over in the middle of the night, taken immediately into a trial with one judge um, to, you know, give him a verdict at that moment without a legal guardian or a lawyer present was wild. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I would say the exact same thing for me. Um, my bra moment would be that, but my lesson, I think, is the whole. It's a speech trap thing. The idea of taking your time with all of it you know it's like yeah uh, everything goes by too quickly and you can get caught up so just take your time and appreciate it for what it is sure sure okay um great what grade are you giving this i'm giving this a b minus it's okay yeah honestly i think now that you said it, i was going to give it a b and i think i'll stick at a b like it's a good story it has a lot of really big highs um there are a few issues but we use everyone well and i just think it's a, a great memorable episode sure sure all right um that being said homework what you got
1: um you know i have been watching blackish on hulu recently. really i don't know how much you watch the series but when i first got introduced to blackish it to me it felt like you know like, people going out of their way to explain Black culture to white people, Mm -hmm. which was kind of my first reaction. So I didn't really, like, get into the show at all. But when Juneteenth happened, I had shown my fiancé their Juneteenth episode, which is actually incredibly well done. Mm -hmm. And then I saw that they did a video on police brutality, which was also incredibly well done. And so it's made me give the show a second chance. And it's actually not really a bad show i'm actually liking it quite a bit i'm liking that this is a show that's tackling the issues that we want shows to tackle uh specifically with race issues the whole thing is about being you know the first black uh family to kind of this this uh main character is the first guy to make it out of the hood and then two, you know upward mobility and like you know being in the upper one, uh, upper middle class or whatever, and just how it feels to have all your kids go to school with white kids. And like, are they losing their culture? And what does that do for you as a black man? When you see that, you know, you wanted them to get out of the hood, yet here they are losing the things that you feel are important. So, seeing things like that being tackled on the on the weekly sitcom that's going out nationally on ABC is kind of cool in a way that I wish I would have appreciated the show more from the beginning. But, anyways, I've been watching it. It's on Hulu, and I would recommend it for people who want a little bit more social commentary out of their sitcoms.
0: Absolutely, I think that um, when I first watched Blackish, it was very much what you were talking about, explaining uh, black issues to white. Uh, audiences. And I think sometimes they still do that, but what they've really learned to do was bring in these writers of color and start telling stories for people of color and for people who are in that demographic of, hey, now that you're here, let's have that conversation that we've all been having of how should I feel about uh, having a family member who was incarcerated and should i help them should i
1: not um
0: you know like there are all these dynamics that
1: they go beautiful episode on colorism within the black community just things that i don't feel like get talked about very often on national television i'm like i'm here for these conversations happening being happening so yeah
0: so that's a really good one and thank you for sharing um for me my episode sorry my homework this week is the um it's kind of like a book. It's kind of like a short story. I don't know what it really would be called. But uh, it's called The Burnout Generation by Anne Helen Peterson. Uh, this hit BuzzFeed like a while ago. But it just talks about being millennials and the generation of basically go-getters. And we like did everything that we could to keep our head above water. And life just keeps knocking at us. <laughs> um, yeah. and, what, and what that does to your mental side psychology and the burnout that a lot of people experience from just going hard to like reach this end goal that is, ever moving um and i thought it was very helpful it was really great to examine the different ways that it affects different people um the different demographics and just there's no solutions really offered because how could you especially during this time but it may feel good to be seen and i thought that was something that could be helpful for everyone so that's that's
1: super interesting i i've been listening i've been watching all these like think piece box videos and reading articles about the psychological impacts of millennials and just what we've gone through from 9-11 through the housing crisis, through COVID and, you know, a myriad of black people getting shot and killed on national television, um, just the, what it means to be our generation and how, you know, the mental effects of You know, being the generation that has produced more for the country than any other generation, yet is getting less than Mm -hmm. any other generation, Mm -hmm. Um, I would be fascinated to look into that because that's something that I've been looking into quite a bit.
0: Yeah, definitely. Again, it's called the burnout generation, and it's basically it's showing like the different ways that you could get burnout. It's like, do you have like laundry that you just can't bring yourself to fold, or uh, like an inbox where you? you know that all you need to do is check this email and you, you just I'm, getting, can't I'm bring feeling
1: it personally it. attacked. See? <laughs> I'm feeling personally attacked as I look at my laundry. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But that, that's what I thought. Um,
0: and considering our demographic, I figured you all would feel uh, seen by it or at least get something from it. So anyway, that is our episode. Um, do you Good have anything app. else you want to say?
1: Nothing. Um, I want to encourage everyone out there to, um, you know, continue to do what they can to be an ally to Black lives. Um, I know that my social media feeds are starting to look a little normal and I'm still quite pissed off that black people keep dying so (laughs) um, (laughs) I'm sure that there are other people who feel like me and there are ways that you can get involved Um, you know if you go on our Instagram page especially we have a link um, that has it's a link tree that has all the links to where our podcasts are but there's also a swipe up where you can uh, you know find different ways that you can give to the black community right now Um, I'm going to keep preaching this regardless of you know how recent. Recently, someone has died in the news um, because Black Lives Matter all the time. Absolutely, um, thank you guys. Make sure to leave us a five star
0: ratings. We appreciate. It. I'm getting a lot of people reach out to us on social media and be like, "How can we help or what can we do?" And until we actually get like a Patreon or anything set up, um, right now, just giving us five stars on iTunes would be helpful um, and continue to listen and share and leave us a rating. I said you can find us on all the places uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Google, we're there. Um, and follow us at Brown Meets World on the social platforms or email us at Brown at gmail.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at I am not your Oreo. That is I A M N O T O R uh, E O T C. Still
1: great. Fucking. <laughs> neighbor. I'm loving it I, I love I'm not your um you can find me on instagram at a braver me at dot braver. Dot me. and if you guys have any thoughts about this specific episode about the tension between Alan and Corey about Corey's interaction with the police um, please uh, reach out to us on all of our social media you can email us we'd love to get your thoughts on this specific issue especially considering how much attention is on police right now and their interactions with people um, you know through traffic stops and stuff love to get your thoughts on all that
0: yes thank you guys um that's pretty much it i guess
1: we will ask you guys to dream to try and do good do some damn good guys we need it we all need some good done (laughs) later bros later bruh